0: So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans chapter 13. Wow, what a great group of kids. Um, Romans chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. Um, Today I just want to sort of pick up um, where we left off last week and talk about um, the other side of this very divisive issue that that our nation um, is faced with. If you uh, if you missed uh, being with us last week, we spent our time addressing the escalating racial divide that's that's we've all seen play out in the media between members of the african-american community and members of law enforcement and to just sort of give us a framework for our discussion uh, last week i read a portion of former president george w bush's speech given at the memorial of the slain dallas police officers and i just What he says here, I think, really frames up for us not only the problem, but the solution. He says, at times, it seems like the forces pulling us apart are stronger than the forces binding us together. Argument turns too easily into animosity. Disagreement escalates too quickly into dehumanization. Too often, we judge other groups by their worst examples by judging ourselves by our best intentions. And this has strained our bonds of understanding and common purpose. But Americans, I think, have a great advantage. To renew our unity, we only need to remember our values. We have never been held together by blood or background. We are bound by the things of the Spirit and by shared commitments to common ideals. At our best, we practice empathy imagining ourselves in the lives and circumstances of others. This is the bridge across our nation's deepest divisions. And it's not merely a matter of tolerance, but of learning from the struggles and stories of our fellow citizens and finding our better selves in the process. You know, out of all the commentary that flooded the media, um, I think he did a great job of summing that up. The problem is that we, too often we judge other people and other people groups by their worst example. And we just judge ourselves by our best intentions. And we all do that, don't we? Which means we are in danger of being a part of the problem. When we judge other people... And other people groups, by their worst examples, while judging ourselves by our best intentions, we're only contributing to the divisiveness. But we as Christians and we as a church, we can't afford to be a part of the problem, can we? As, as the people of God, as the church, God has ordained us to be a unifying force in a divisive world. Galatians 3:28 says there's no longer Jew or Gentile there's no longer slave or free no longer male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus Paul was writing that to the Galatians and, and telling us that the church is this unifying force there's no more divisions anymore God brought Jews and Gentiles together and that that was a huge racial divide that was going on in their time huge worse than what we have. So God has chosen the church to lead the way in modeling the oneness that Jesus gave his life for. But that's a lot easier said than done. Because deep down inside, each and every one of us have bias. And maybe even some prejudice based on our experiences and the way that we were raised. Even the Apostle Peter struggled with his prejudice against Gentiles ten years after Jesus died and rose again. Ten years later, he's still struggling with his prejudice against the Gentiles. If you don't believe it, just read, uh, read about it in, in um, Acts 10. And then later you see that Peter or Paul even had to correct him about how he was treating some Gentiles. Um, and we'll talk about that. We'll take a closer look at that in the near future. So again, living in this unity that Jesus has provided is a lot easier said than done because of our own internal biases, right? But as we said last week, those things are rooted in pride. Anything that makes you feel better than or more superior than someone else is simply rooted in pride. And, and the way that we conquer pride is through practicing humility. And God tells us how to do that in Philippians 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have been practicing that? Considering others more important or better than yourselves? Okay, a couple of you. Um, We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, and I encourage you that with every encounter you have with another human, just practice that. Just internally say, hmm, I'm going to consider that person more important than myself right now. I'm going to consider this person that's really irritating me at the grocery store more important than myself. I'm going to consider this person who's trying to cut in on me on the road He's, he's passed all these cars because he thinks this time is more important than mine. To, he's trying to cut in on me. I'm still going to consider him more important than myself. I'm telling you, that will change your life. If you can place other people above yourself, that, is, that just opens the door for you to be able to love them like Jesus told us to love people unconditionally, not just in word or concept, but in, actual, in, in actions, that we're actually loving someone because we're considering them better than ourselves. I want to read this verse again and the verses after that, but I want to read it in a different version because it just really says it well. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 8 in the New Century Version says, when you do things, do not let selfish pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to those or to others than yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God, and made himself nothing; he was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself, and he was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death—death death on a cross. See, true humility, considering other people better than yourselves, or, or giving more honor to them than yourselves, is the pathway. To loving people the way Jesus has called us to love them. Because you cannot love them if you're operating from selfishness or pride. Can you? I mean, if, we've, if you've tried it, it just can't be done. And humility also opens the door to practicing empathy. And empathy is just the ability to feel what another person is feeling in, in, what, they're, in what they're experiencing imagining ourselves in the lives and circumstances of others. And perhaps President Bush is right. If we can practice empathy through humility, then maybe we can start building bridges across our nation's deepest divides. And that's exactly what we did as a church last week. We had three members of our leadership team who have felt the sting of racial prejudice in their life from... From one degree to another, um, and and for probably more than any of us, any else, any others of us have. Um, but they shared with us what they've experienced, what they felt, and how they responded in the wake of these tragic events that have plagued our nation lately. But that's only one side of the division that's going on. So today I want to address, um, just sort of enter into the lives and stories of people on the other side of this tension. The police officers and first responders. Um, this week I spent a few hours talking with a couple of police officers in our community just to get a feel for what they're going through and and, and how they you know what they experience on a day to day basis and what they've gone through in the wake of these tragic events. And I want us to do our best to just kind of understand where they're coming from and and empathize with them um, and understand what our response should be as Christ followers. Right? Because again, um, it's way too easy to fall into all this division going on and take sides. You know, when all we hear is just what the media tells us and then we read something else on social media, it's way too easy to, to fall one way or the other and not actually put ourselves in the position of those who are suffering, right? I mean, there are no sides. You guys realize there are no sides here. We have one enemy, and it is not flesh and blood, right? It is powers and principalities. And evil forces in the unseen world. That's what scripture tells us. And we have got to realize that. And we've got to lead the way in helping other people realize that as well. We as a church, as the church, cannot afford to be part of the problem. God has instituted the church to be a unifying force in a very divisive world. And the only way that we have any hope of doing that is by empathizing what our African-American brothers and sisters are going through and what the men and women in law enforcement are going through. But I want to begin today by looking at what God has to say about the institution of government and law enforcement that God has put in place. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, tells us that everyone must submit to governing Authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been been placed there by God. Did you realize that? Everyone in positions of authority has been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And they will be punished. For the, the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right... But in those who are doing wrong, would you like to live without the fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So what this passage is telling us is that God has instituted these governing authorities and he asks us to obey them and to support them through the paying of our taxes. And see, God uses these institutions to provide an environment where human beings can live in peace and flourish. That we can actually do what God has commissioned us to do is be fruitful and multiply. Like, what do you think life would be like without the governing institutions of education, for example? Right? I mean, aside from horrible lack of progress and technological advancements that our country affords, you would see unbelievable oppression on all different types of groups of people by a select few. And, and, and there are some great ex- examples in movies of that. Like, have you ever seen the book of Eli? That's a great example of what it would look like if society was that way. But we can even see that play out in, in real life um, through some of the Islamic ex- extremist groups on, on other parts of the world, like, like Boko Haram and, and the Taliban and Al-Shabaab, where they don't believe, they believe that all women are here to serve the men. Therefore, they are not allowed to be educated. I mean, there's even been reports where women and children have been slaughtered just for trying to get an education. That's horrible oppression on a group of people by a select few. Um, But fortunately, here in the U.S., there are governing institutions for education, for our education system. And part of our property taxes goes to pay for that. What do you think life would be like without our law enforcement. You know, aside from complete anarchy and lawlessness and and chaos, the evil of this world would be completely unrestrained. And instead of peace and human flourishing, there would be fear and terror on all sides. Fortunately for us, we have a very well-established governing institution of law enforcement and that enforce law and order and we as citizens get to live in peace and raise our families in the freedom that all that and all the freedoms that this country affords us. So God uses these institutions to restrain evil in the world and provide environments for us to live in peace and, and flourish as human beings and according to Romans 13 we should be willing to gladly, Submit to them and support them. However, because these institutions are, are run by people, we, and, and because we know that there's no such thing as perfect people, then therefore there's no such thing as a perfect institution, is there? So how then are we to respond to institutions that we've been asked to submit to but are less than perfect? Well, just because an institution is imperfect doesn't change the mandate of Romans 13, does it? God knew that. God knew that they were going to be imperfect. But it doesn't change the mandate. So we're to continue to submit to and support those institutions. But I also think that another appropriate response is is just to be grateful for what we have, and then continually work as a people to improve them. And I think that's pretty much what we do. Um, I mean, for as much as a complete circus our political system is in right now, um, we have a lot to be grateful for, don't we? Right? We have some of the the most well-planned-out cities and some of the, the best roads that's even available in this world right Is anywhere in the world we enjoy the fact that we can get on an airplane and not worry if it's going to fall out of the sky because there are governing institutions that regulate that that make sure those planes are in good operating condition right Um, we can enjoy getting in our cars and driving for hundreds of miles in any direction And not worry if we're going to get run off the road by a band of marauders, have everything taken from us and killed. Because there are institutions that push that kind of evil back. So we have so much to be grateful for. But that doesn't preclude the fact that there's so much to be improved upon, right? There's no such thing as a perfect institution not only because they're run by imperfect people, but because there are also some bad people in all of those institutions. There are bad politicians out there. There are are bad and corrupt city officials. There are bad teachers in the education system. And there are bad pastors in churches. And yes, there are some bad cops out there. I mean, to say that all police officers are pure-hearted is absurd. It's completely absurd. It's like, it's like me saying all Christians are genuine, right? I mean, not all pastors are genuine. There are some pastors who love themselves far more than the people God has called them to lead. But just because there are bad people within our institutions, does that give anyone a right to wage war against those institutions and start killing people off? No, of course not. Unfortunately, the governing institution of law enforcement has become a target by people who think, who've bought into the lie that they're the enemy. Not only were five police officers killed here in Dallas two weeks ago, but while we were meeting here last Sunday talking about bridging this racial divide, three other officers were killed in Baton Rouge. So within 10 days, eight police officers lost their lives just for doing their job. And I don't think any of us really understand how difficult their job really is. Um, Brad might have an idea because he's a first responder. He's not a police officer, but he's a fireman. Now I was hoping to be able to sit down with him this week and talk to him about some of the things he goes through. He just got back from vacation, right? Last night. Um, But I don't think any of us fully understand how difficult their job really is because when all these other institutions have shortcomings, the shortcomings tend to fall on the police. Listen to what um, Dallas Police Chief David Brown said a couple weeks ago in a news conference. He said, What we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish here, is above challenging. It is. We're asking cops to do too much in this country. Every societal failure, we put it on the cops to solve. Not enough mental health funding? Let the cop handle it. Not enough drug addiction funding? Let's give it to the cops. Here in Dallas, we've got a loose dog problem. Let's have the cops chase loose dogs. You know, schools fail. Give it to the cops. 70% of the African-American community is being raised by single women. Let's give it to the cops to solve that as well. That's too much to ask. Policing was never meant to solve all these problems. I just ask for other parts of our democracy, along with the free press, to help us. To help us and not put that burden on law enforcement to resolve. You know, as true as... That might be some a lot of those things he just listed there would be a light day for some of them. I spent some time this week with a couple of um, police officers in our community, um, and and also the assistant chief of police here in Prosper, um, just to find out what they go through on a day to day basis, and and how we. Not only as individuals, but as a church, can best support them. Um, our first responders, which includes police officers, firemen, paramedics, ha- have some of the most dangerous jobs um, in our country. They, I mean, they witness firsthand some of the most evil and tragic events that our society can dish out. And they deal routinely with with the violent, the violent, the mentally ill, and the incredibly desperate. And they don't have the luxury of just reading it in the newspaper or hearing it on the news like we do. They have to be first on the scene or first through the door. So I, I met with these officers and I asked them some questions. And in one of those meetings... We had met at the um, Kroger here in town, um, up on Preston and Prosper Trail, and there's a Starbucks in there. And we went and got a cup of coffee, and there were some tables sitting around there. And he was having a hard time finding a place to sit because he had to sit with his back to the door. He wasn't comfortable, or not back to the. He had to sit with his back to the wall. He had to be able to see. There was like the main entrance and an entrance over here, and he had to be able to see both of them. And, and I thought it was, I mean, I've never actually been in the presence of someone who couldn't, who couldn't sit with their back to the door. It was kind of odd just to go through that, but that's how he loses life. Because he knows he's a target. I mean, even in, in this community like Prosper, he, he can't let his guard down ever. Because he knows he's a target. As a first responder, they see things they can never unsee. He's told, he told me about a couple of the accidents that he's had to work here on 380. One where a six-month-old child went through the windshield because the child's safety seat wasn't fastened correctly. Another scene that he had rolled up on, was a really bad accident and when he walked around the side of the car the guy's head was laying on the ground next to the tire with his eyes open. He talked about walking into a home of a small child that was badly beaten. And then he has to go home and love his wife and his own kids. I asked him how he dealt with that and he says that he has to compartmentalize the best as he can and, and know that that's just life. He run, he says he runs a lot to handle some of the stress he faces. But he also told me about... Um, he, he works closely with Hope's Door, which is a, a shelter for battered women and children in, in abusive homes. Um, and he was... Working, he had gone to Hope's door, and he was meeting with some kids, and and this five-year-old little boy came to him and said, because I think someone had been talking about calling 911 and, and, and such and so forth, and this little five-year-old boy came and stood right in front of him, and he said, so if I call 911, will you come help me? And he's like, yeah, buddy, sure, of course I will but it was, it was how the question was raised. He knew what that kid was expecting in his life. And I asked him, why do you do it then? <laughs> I, asked, I asked all the officers that I met with, why do you do this? And the common response was, we just want to serve and protect our community. I mean, where does that come from? You know, when I read this passage in, in, in Romans 13, I believe it comes from God. I think it's a calling of God. Because it says, these people who are placed in authority are placed there by God. They may not spiritualize it like us pastors do. You know, like, I got this call from God, right? You know, They might not spiritualize it that way. But I truly believe it's a call from God that's placed in their life. One of the officers I met with He spent 22 years as a New York City cop before he retired from the police force up there. Moved down to North Texas, thought he was going to spend the rest of his days lifting weights and going to the shooting range. But as he describes it, he couldn't escape the bug. (laughs) And within a year, he applied at the Prosper Police Force, and they hired him last January. And he's one of the most humble guys I've ever met. My, um, our son, Sean, when he was nine years old, he told us that he wanted to either be a SWAT officer or an FBI agent. Now, when your kids are nine years old, you know, you don't think a whole lot of that, right? You just think, okay, sure. But that, he has not deviated from that. In high school, he took um, some, uh, it was a, I don't know what it was. it was. It wasn't actual, it wasn't like regular classes. It was like technological classes that kids can opt for. At the Kate Center in Frisco. He took criminal justice there. He took criminal justice classes, and then he went to Sam Houston, studied criminal justice, and then he spent a couple years um, serving a 911 operator, and now he's a military police officer in the Air Force, expecting to continue that path when he gets out. I'm convinced more than ever it's a calling that God places. In people in their lives. That God just drops in their heart so that they can hold the, restrain the evil back for the rest of us. And what about those officers who are Christians? I mean, as Christians, we believe that everyone is made in the image of God, right? But these men and women who, who every single day see the absolute darkness of the human heart and still believe that, that, that people are made in the image of God? I mean, how do they not get jaded? As a pastor, I have to watch myself not getting jaded, right? I mean, how do these officers not think everyone's a liar and that they're trying to hide something? That's the internal battle they face every day. And their job has way more stress than any of us can probably imagine. In 2012, a study of 464 police officers was published in the International Journal of of Emergency Mental Health, linking officer stress with increased levels of sleep disorders, Hodgkin's lymphoma, brain cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and suicide. Other studies have found that between 7 and 19% of active duty police officers have PTSD, while MRIs of officers' brains have found a connection with experiencing trauma and reduction in areas that play roles in emotional and cognitive decision-making, memory, fear, and stress regulation. Think about what all that does to their relationships. I mean, how, how does that affect their marriage? And how does that affect how they relate to their kids? One of the officers I met with admitted that he had allowed the job to cost him his first marriage. But now he's remarried and his wife is actually a teacher here at this school. Listen, the reason you and I have the luxury of reading about tragic events and and maybe we'll tear up and say, oh my God, that's awful, and then go about our lives is because God has called someone else to walk in the door first. See, a lot of us, in light of recent events, have completely forgotten about the Pulse nightclub shooting. But you know who hasn't forgotten about it? The first responders who had to walk in that room where 60 dead bodies were laying and cell phones ringing off the hook, family members trying to get a hold of them? Do you think those sights and sounds are going to haunt them for the rest of their lives? The rest of us, we get to just move on to the next tragic event and look at it through the lens of the media. We don't have to be scarred forever by these events, because there are other men and women who have chosen, out of a sense of duty, to be first on the scene. There's a lot of times that my job as a pastor requires me to be to go to a house um, where someone has died, or there's a tragic accident on the road that's, that's happened, and be with and be with and support family members. Um, but I'm never first to the door. I usually roll up 30, 40 minutes after the fact, um, and only twice has the body still been on the premises. But I never have to process it or move it or examine it. I don't have to be the one who shows up when there's nothing but terror and brokenness of the tragedy, and try to start bringing some order and peace. Other men and women have sworn an oath to do that for me, to do that for us. And so I asked them, how how can we best support you guys? Because I can't imagine doing their job. But they also need our support. How do we best support them? And the assistant police chief here in Prosper, he said, honestly, the best thing you can do is when you see a police officer, just go up to them and shake their hand and thank them. Show some appreciation. He says, you don't have to bring them stuff. He's like, there's only so many cookies we can eat before it affects our health. <laughs> right? Um, but just show some appreciation. Um, there's this thing called National Night Out, which is, uh, uh, in most of the nation, it's actually next week, or week after next, August 2nd. It's always the f- it's first Tuesday in August for most of the nation, but Texas has opted to move it back to the s- first Tuesday in October, just because of the heat, because most people don't actually get out on the uh, second Tuesday in August. Um, but he said, participating in the National Night Out is a great way to show your support. Um, He says here in Prosper, they do cops with a clause where the police officers are gathering gifts for kids um, whose families can't afford to give them gifts. Um, He also said, go on a ride-along. That's a great way to learn what they go through and and just sort of support them. Um, You can actually go on ride-alongs here in Prosper, and I'm sure in Frisco and McKinney and other cities, too. Um, but God has chosen the church to be the vehicle through which human beings can be one in Christ. Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, and regardless of socioeconomic status, And we will not buy into the black versus blue narrative that is being pushed out by the media. This divide is, is systemic and is way bigger than that. We will instead be a church that recognizes our responsibility to lead the people within our sphere of influence away from the divisiveness. And towards healing and unity. And we will do that through humbly considering others more important than ourselves and empathizing what others go through rather than taking sides. Amen? Amen. What I want to do. Um, I know of only one first responder that we have here. Is there any other first responders here visiting with us? Okay. Brad, would you come up here? What I want to do is is pray for... Our first responders, and I want Brad to sort of stand in proxy for all of them right not only is he a first responder for and represents firemen, but I want him to sort of stand in proxy for all the police officers as well so just sort of I just want you to reach your hand out and we 're going to pray not only for Brad but for every first responder in this nation and what they 're going through <clears throat> heavenly Father. <clears throat> Thank you so much for just who you are, God. And despite all that our nation is going through, we can turn to you. You are the one who, you're the answer. You're our hope. You're the one we can turn to when life falls apart. You're the only one who's always there and always faithful. I thank you, God, for your word that tells us how we are to respond as believers to the institutions you have set in place, even when those institutions are broken. And God, I, I just pray for, and, and all of us join our faith to pray for bread and, and for all first responders whether they be firemen or paramedics or police officers those who have to be on the scene first those who have had a calling dropped in their heart by God that they can't escape I pray God that you would help us to consider them more important than ourselves that you would help us to feel what they feel and not just be calloused because of all the garbage we hear pumped out through the media but that we would actually take a moment when we hear these stories God just feel what those who are suffering are going through and and, and, and just pray for them. I pray for, for Brad and for all of our first responders God that you would empower them to do their jobs, that you would give them grace upon grace to handle everything that comes their way, God. Your word tells us that your grace is sufficient, and I have no doubt that your grace is good enough to handle all the things that they see and all the difficulty that they face. So I pray, God, that your grace would just flood To all of our first responders, I thank you, God, for all of them. I thank you that they've been willing to answer the call and be the ones who are first on the scene and be the ones who are pushing back the evil of this world so that we can live in peace and flourish. I pray, God, that you would help us to become a people who would not fall into the trap of taking sides, but would lead other people towards the unity that you desire. God, we thank you for all of these things. We pray these things in your Son's precious name. Amen.